Good morning for the third and last time, my brothers and sisters. I have loved, just loved being here. Uh, to whoever made it possible for me to come, I am grateful. I know it's partially due to the Dean of the Beeson International Center, my good friend and brother, uh, Dr. David Geyertsen. I'm so thankful to Dr. President Tennant that you've uh, welcomed me and allowed me to come on the campus. And um, I think it has to be to the Dean of Chapel, at least you didn't veto me coming in <laughs> to chapel. So I have so much loved being here. Have you ever just stood in wonder of the fact that you walk into a place as a child of God and meet with people that you've never been with before who also love Jesus and you just feel at home. I've felt that way here. Thank you for welcoming me and, and listening and making me feel uh, at home here. Sometimes I'm just shocked when I think that somehow this message about Jesus that started there in a little oppressed country of Israel and really being launched when we see the very leader of it dying on a cross can somehow make it all the way to Wilmore, Kentucky. How on earth did that happen? It's, it is amazing. And actually what I've been talking to you about is really the uh, central idea of that. Uh, that. That God loves us and loves the world and Jesus actually came, entered in uh, to this sin-filled and fallen world out of love. And while he was here, practically, as I spoke about yesterday, he was willing to break into and enter into the lives of people that, that those in his own culture didn't think he should have done it. Uh, he, he walked right into Gentile territory to bring good news. He walked right into the home and met there a Gentile woman in a demonized home from the people of Tyre, which were their arch enemies. And in that way, he began something of bringing hope to all of those people, including us, who are made in the image of God. He called people to himself, and then as you get into the book of Acts, those who then began to believe were formed into communities of faith, where located in neighborhoods, these communities of faith, the, these churches, would there be involved in growing, becoming complete in Christ, becoming conformed to the image of Christ, but not just growing, but going. I mean, all of us are sent, going as Jesus went, to enter into other lives. And as in those neighborhoods, uh, those churches had more resources, they sent some of their very best ones out to do the very same thing in other places who would call to enter in, call people to faith in Jesus, form a community where people could grow and then go again. And those churches, as that happened, it's like, it's like ever-growing concentric circles, isn't it? Until one of those days, those witnesses made it to a place like Pasadena, California. Who could have ever imagined that? And somehow, all the way out here to uh, Wilmore, Kentucky. I don't think that's the end of the earth, but you send people to the ends of the earth. I've heard all the slogans already here. <laughs> so today, that really brings me into the message because, as I've told you, I want uh, the community that I'm a part of, the Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena, to be a part of what has brought the hope of Jesus Christ to us. Uh, I want us to enter into the lives of the people where he has placed us, and I want you to do the same as well. And I've been talking to you about those three very basic uh, phrases that we use for this enterprise, to enter in to the lives of those that God loves 
only to those made in his image and for whom Jesus died, only those. Then we're going to have to call them to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then I found we have to walk with them as they become our unexpected, not to God but to us, brothers and sisters in Christ. So yesterday we looked at Jesus entering into the life of that uh, Gentile Tyrite woman from a demonized home. Now today we're going to come to that second point where Jesus came to uh, each time, as far as I can understand it, that we also have to call to. Jesus called people to follow him as the Lord of their lives. That's Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 34, in which Jesus would say, if anyone, if anyone will come after me, let that person... So again, um, when you enter into a relationship with someone, and actually that relationship grows that you have a love for that person, if you know Jesus, there comes a point at which if you love that other person... You must do what Jesus did, where he said, if anyone, and he gave the demands of the kingdom. So I've got to stop again like I did yesterday. Uh, Who's in that anyone who's supposed to follow Jesus? Any of you? you? See, I thought maybe kind of like the black churches I preach in, you'd help me. I need help. I need help with preaching. (laughs) Anyone is, is anyone. You already knew that. You didn't have to, to tell me that. And when I read through uh, Jesus's anyone's just in the Gospel of Mark, I went and marked these down again last night. Chapter 1, a man with leprosy. Chapter 2, a tax collector. That, I tried to say that with, you know, fervor. Uh, chapter 5, a shackled demoniac plus a synagogue ruler, plus a woman who would have been defiled by having that that, uh, hemorrhage that was going on. And then chapter 7, this Gentile woman and a deaf Gentile man. I'm going to tell you, I read that. And I said, this is as diverse as the people I see in Pasadena, California. Now, I want you to notice this. To all of those anyones, no matter what their background may have been, in this particular text, Mark chapter 8, Jesus declares without reservation to them that if they will follow him, if we will follow him, he will give us life. Uh, and that's the life of God, the life that our creator made us to live and that we have separated ourselves from the fullness of that life when we walk away from him. But at the same time, He gave these three demands. Each one of them would be worthy of an entire chapel service, more than worthy of it. So I only can take a moment with him. He said we have to deny self, take up a cross, and follow him. This is what we must do. This is what we must come to the point and call others to do as well. Deny self. Let's just chew on those just a moment. Jesus made it clear that that thing that Most people feel, I've got to have that in order to be happy, in order to find my life, must be surrendered to him. It's not that he always takes those things away, but he might. And if he takes them away, we will still have life if we have found him in in our identities. Uh, The Apostle Paul used a word for this, you Greek students, epithumia. It means an over-desire. It means those things we want so badly that if if those things were taken away from us, 
We could not possibly have our lives. We could not possibly be happy. And Jesus says you have to deny that part of yourself. Uh, It could be our possessions. It could be our power. It could be our prestige. It could be our sexual preferences. Those things that we think if we give that up, we cannot really find life. And Jesus says you must be willing to give that up, deny self to find life. I'll just give you a quote from one of my favorite authors, George MacDonald, Scottish author, uh, pastor too, that applies here. When first things, when first things are put first, second things are not diminished, but enhanced. Make second things the first type thing, and you'll die. Demand number two, take up a cross. Um, If you read the rest of the episodes with Jesus in this discipleship section, you'll know that take up a cross really means you've got to be willing to die. Physical death might be possible when you follow Jesus, because when we follow Jesus, we follow one who is headed to a cross. We have to note this as well. When Jesus says you must be willing to even give up your life if you go exactly where I call you to go, he says immediately the three times when he talks that I'm going to die, he says, but remember, I'm going to rise again. So by implication, if we follow him and physical death is taken from us because of the gospel, eternal life will not be taken away from us. I mean, so nothing can separate us from the love of God that comes in Christ Jesus. But when I say that, you know that that does not keep the reality of suffering and possible physical death in this world from being anything but very, very difficult. The Apostle Peter knew it. And when you read 1 Peter, which is written to a suffering people, you know what he said? He said that the difficulties that God allows to come into our lives when we follow him, he describes it twice as fire. And what fire does, he says, it burns off dross the things that we put in the center of our lives as gods, but are not eternal and and are not worthy of being God, and and, and it purifies gold. So persecutions are are such a thing that even Paul would say, uh, Lord, I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings. But when I say that, fire is still fire, and a cross is still a cross. We must deny self and be willing to take up the cross, and then follow But make no mistake, even though it sounds harder to deny self and to take up a cross than to follow, that's not true. When you follow, you have the direction of your life completely taken over by somebody else. You're no longer in charge of your own destiny. To follow someone in their world meant to have your entire life, your way of thinking, your values, and your destiny shaped by the one that you follow. When you get to Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto the mountaintop, and then that voice speaks, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And that word is a word for listening in such a way that you obey what you hear. Um, And so Peter, James, and John had to decide, are we going to listen to what the people around us were saying? Are we going to listen to Moses and Abraham, if it seems like what Jesus is saying? You know, all this, and and what they had to do is simply say, whatever Jesus says, wherever he would have us to go, that is what I'm going to follow. I'll tell you, um, when I look at that, it does, it calls us to do all sorts of things. Mm. 
It calls us to use our money in a different way. We have a lot of really well-to-do people in my church as well as people who are struggling to stay out of homelessness. They and we struggle with that. It meant, as I said before, in a place like Southern California, we have to say, I I will commit my practice of my human sexuality to you, going your way. When at least in my culture, everybody says there's no way you can be happy if you do that. When Jesus is Lord, he'll sometimes call us to forgive the people that we don't want to forgive. And he calls us to enter into relationships with people that we don't want to enter into. And that's not just true for you. It's true for the people that you will enter into their lives. You must call them to follow Jesus. I want to consider one specific way that this played out in the life of Jesus, and that's in in Mark 10. That's the situation of the one whose identity, Mary, when you prayed and I heard you have to build your identity not on other things but only on Jesus, I thought, wow, that's like preaching this sermon. His identity, (laughs) his identity was a rich young ruler. From every indication, this was a good man. If you'd met him, you would have wanted him to live well. I would have wanted him to be in my church. I would have gone to ask him for a donation. He wanted to find the life. He wanted to find the life that God had for him. He had sought, the Bible tells us, to keep the laws of God all of his life. And Jesus doesn't deny that. He saw that in him. And Mark says he had compassion. He had compassion on this man. As I read this text, I don't know if you could put yourself into his shoes. What what I see is, this is a man who tried to do all the right things. It's a little bit like what I read sometimes in the early life of the Wesleys. Tried hard to do all the right things, but still he knew something was missing. So with deep respect, he comes to Jesus and he says, good master. Now Jesus immediately picks up on that. And, and he's good, good, that phrase among his people, good, master, he, he, he goes after this thing. He says, good, you call me good. Don't you know that God alone is good? It seems like he's trying to find out if this man really understood who he was. Um, will this be the first Jewish man who understands who Jesus is? What do you mean by good, Jesus says? There is no one good but God. Then he goes to the heart of the matter. All right, if I'm the good one, I see what's keeping you from the life that you so much want to have. You have an idol in your life. Um, Your possessions are possessing you. You're living for them. They're keeping you from God. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. Sell all you have. It's easy. You can find your life. I'll tell you how. Just sell all that stuff that you have at the center of your life and give it to the poor. Then come follow me and you will find your life. You see, this is Jesus applying that Mark 8, 34 to 38, call to text in a specific person where he saw that this man's life, his identity was built upon him being rich and prestigious. Sell it all, give it to the poor, you'll have life. This man had wanted to find life. I believe that was serious. He had a decision now to make. Uh, Would he find life by getting rid of all that secondary stuff that our world says is so important? Or would he find life by actually making Jesus Lord? He wanted to hold on to that, but you just think about that. What would his parents have said? What would his friends have said? (laughs) But Jesus, the good one, 
had called him to follow? Would he listen to Jesus? You see how all this fits together in the Gospel of Mark. Would he deny himself and follow Jesus? And, and, and Mark describes his response so movingly. Do you have verse 22 in front of you? At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Literally, it says his wealth was weighing him down and keeping him from the kingdom. The word sad is a very strong, very strong word. It's a word that means to grieve the loss of something. It's the word that was used of Jesus when he was sweating drops of blood and was grieving the lack of connection with his father. That's the word. He grieved losing this, but still the possessions were his God. Brothers and sisters, you and I must deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. That also when we enter into the relationships with people, there's going to come a time in our lives when we have to call the people that we love to follow Jesus as Lord in this way. Now, are you with me here? If not, wake up. Um, the message I did for you yesterday, enter in across the, the divisions, our world as a whole will applaud us doing that. This message, calling people to find their lives only in following Jesus as Lord, that will be scoffed at. That will be scoffed at. But we have to do it. And when you call a person to follow Jesus as Lord, sometimes you find that they begin to be separated from their support systems. And so the, the third thing that we do steps in. Enter in, call to, and now we walk with. So now we have, if the uh, rich young ruler had said, yes, I follow, now we have a new brother in Christ. We might not have expected it, but we didn't have. So this is what Jesus says as you look at verse 30, after Peter complains just a bit. There is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake in the gospel, who will not find a hundredfold now in this time with persecutions. In verses 28 to 31, this is the most neglected part of the rich young ruler's story. It's, it's often pretty much ignored. So the disciples get upset when the rich young ruler is turned away. And you know why, don't you? He represented everything that they wanted to become. They thought that when Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem and set up his kingdom, what he was is what they would become. Don't you remember the fight they had? Who's going to be the greatest when you get into your kingdom? Who's going to be on your right and on your left when you get into your kingdom? And now the very person who represented what they thought they were going to become is sent away without the life of Jesus. And so Peter says, we've left everything behind. What, what do we get out of this? What do we get out of this? Today I want you to realize that if that um, man had actually done what Jesus called him to do, his life would have been hard. Have you ever thought about what life would have been like if, if you'd been the rich young ruler and now you're going to give away everything to the poor? I mean, you wouldn't have, I was writing down, he wouldn't have a home anymore. He wouldn't have a bank account. He wouldn't have any resources to send his kids to Asbury. He wouldn't have any health insurance. Because they didn't have an Affordable Care Act, no Herod Care was going on there. Uh, 
He would have no prestige anymore. He would have been the object of scorn of his family and his friends. I mean, how would this man even survive? And I'll tell you, that's what I've discovered for many, many people when we've come and called them to follow Jesus as Lord. We have a number of people whose heritage is, is in the Middle East, and when they have come to Jesus, have been uh, disowned by their families. Uh, we have young women in our church who, because of the call of Jesus, chose to keep that child that the world was actually calling them to abort. And we went to them and said, we'll walk with you. If, if you will keep your child, you won't be alone, setting up families. But I'm telling you, they were often scorned and cut off from their boyfriends and from their families as well. So the question is, how does this work out when we call people to follow Jesus as Lord, and they do, and then find themselves destitute? I mean, even how were Peter and the disciples going to live when they left everything behind to go into other parts of the world? So let's see what Jesus says. On one side, Jesus gives a wonderful promise for his followers' futures. You see at the very end of verse 30, follow me, and in the age to come, you'll have eternal life. Any hallelujahs there? Anything missing here? I mean, that's great, isn't it? But the problem is that age to come hasn't come fully yet. I mean, how, how do you eat? How do you live now and when we follow Jesus? Now, you have to look very carefully at verse 30 to see Jesus' answer to that. You will be brought into 100-fold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. This is family talk. Some of it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, a hundredfold houses and lands, you'd like that, right? But wait a minute, what about this part of a hundredfold mothers? You want a hundredfold mothers? What kind of mother is that? What, what about this hundredfold children? Some of you have four children. You want 400? And this is good news from Jesus? Uh, don't worry when you follow me. I'll give you 100-fold mothers and 100-fold children with persecutions. What's that about? You're Asbury people, so I imagine you're already with me here. You have an intuition of what Jesus is talking about. Can I show you this thing? He, it's so profound. You have to look at it carefully. He puts two lists. I wanna, if we can get the slide, I want to put them up here so you can see them. Two lists of what is gained and what is lost. I want you to look at them carefully. What you leave when you follow Jesus. Houses, uh, brothers, sisters, mothers, father, children, and lands. Jesus ahead of all of them. What do you gain? Houses, brothers, sisters, mother, children, and lands. Okay, look at that carefully. Is it up there? What's different? What? Aha! This is a sharp group here, Brian. I'll, I'm just telling I knew you'd see that. Father. It's so striking, isn't it? Have you noticed that before? When you follow Jesus, you and I don't gain 100-fold fathers. For there's only one father in this family. One father, as the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 3.14, before whom the entire family derives its name, and before whom the entire family bows its knees. You and I, that's why when we come together, we're brothers and sisters under one father. Amen? That, that, that's why we are tied together. 
We receive eternal life, but until the kingdom of God comes fully with Messiah's second coming, we're going to experience in this fallen world with other kingdoms persecution and difficulty. But you never have to do it alone. Jesus says, I'm going to plant a new family, a fam my family, that is available to all believers. And to me, that's what a local church is supposed to be. This is it influenced my understanding of what a local church should be in its community. To call to people and say, when you follow Jesus, sometimes it's hard, but you're not going to be alone. God will be with you, but right here and now, we'll be with you too. What does that look like in a, in a church? I'll tell you, I'll confess I'm still learning. How am I doing with time? Oh, not so bad, not so bad. <laughs> two of my teachers are two of our missionaries. I mentioned them in our workshop yesterday. Their names are Randy and Edie Nelson. I have a picture of them up here. After spending 14 years of their lives reaching this nomadic people group across Kenya and Tanzania that people said nobody can even find them, much less reach them, they reached them and almost the entire people group came to the Lord Jesus. They were trained, they were discipled, and they had their own elders in place and they were sending out missionaries to other nomadic people groups. So Randy and Edie's work was done. Then to the shock of Betty, though they had several options, they didn't go back to another nomadic people group. They chose to go to Pattaya, Thailand. Like many uh, urban centers, even like my own city, it, it has become a center of trafficking industry. Great things have happened. So when I was with them, I asked them, how do you approach this ministry with this enter in called to walk with? And here's what, the, I wrote this down as well as I could. Here's what they said. When we go to a new area, we walk prayerfully among the people. They just walked up and down the streets of Patia. And we ask God, what's broken here that needs your healing? What's wrong here that you want to make right? And the answer is everything. <laughs> but we ask for wisdom to discern what the most important things are. Then we ask God for more wisdom to know what first steps we should take toward reconciliation. Then they went on to tell me this. When they went there and were praying, at the local bus station, we saw young teenagers exiting the buses day by day. Young teenagers sent by their parents into trafficking in order to just raise money to alleviate the poverty and hunger of their own families. And we said, that's not right. That's not the way that God made children, made in his image, to live. So that's where we started. And here's what they did. They used their support money to rent out the most expensive and best banquet hall in the entire city. Then they went, and you saw the picture of them, this, entering in. This is not where they usually live their lives. They went from bar to bar to bar in Patia to invite the young women who were caught in that way of life to come and have a feast and to have the value of their lives celebrated in an evening in their honor. Everybody mocked them. The other Christian churches said, you can't go in and do that. You'll, you'll ruin our reputations. But they did it anyway. As I said yesterday, they didn't even tell me. And they said, we, we were afraid we'd lose our support. But, but anyway, <laughs> the first night, 76 women came. And so they celebrated the way that each one of them was valuable made in the image of God, loved by Jesus, so much he died for them. The second night, over 150 came. Many, many came to faith. 
But in calling these beautiful people of faith, they said, we can't simply get them saved and leave them alone. So the True Friends community was born. Do I have a picture of, the, of that second community up here? I've preached there. It's a church like no other church I've ever been to in my entire life. I don't have time to tell you stories. It would be worth telling the stories. It's a church seeking out to, to live out this vision that I've talked about of being a family together in a place where when they do this, all the support systems are pulled from under their feet. It's a community of Jesus following people who are walking with one another. Now, if you go there, uh, that church has really done well, and, and now they've even bought out a place right alongside where those buses come in, and they meet the children coming out of the buses, and they know that the financial needs of their families are still very real. I mean, these justice issues are very real. So they set up other kinds of work, other kinds of jobs for them, and invite them to come to Jesus and eventually to make Jesus their Lord. I tell you, they are experiencing the liberating power of God. Edie, Edie said to me, if those people in your church think that God is not still at work doing miracles in our world, send them over here for a while and let them see it. And I want us to work in the same way in California's San Gabriel Valley. We too have walked our streets of our city praying that God would help us to see what the most important things are. We've identified four main areas, working in homelessness, a public education, uh, immigration, and uh, incarceration slash re-entry. As when the state of California ran out of money, all these people were let out of prison that, didn't com that committed nonviolent, non-sexual crimes, but then they came and had nobody. We want to be a family. We seek to enter into the lives of people with the love of Jesus, to call people to follow Jesus, and then promise them that you won't be alone, we'll walk with you. I'm just going to tell you, it is messy. It sounds better when I preach to you than if you came and saw it. I'll tell you that. But I'll also tell you we are also seeing the power of God to change lives. So my brothers and sisters here, I know you love the church. I know you've been called to serve the Lord in the church. And I just urge you to always think about the fact that it isn't just randomly that God plants local churches in the neighborhoods that you are serving in. I mean, everything I see God doing in the Bible is incarnational. Even when he created, he digs down into the dirt to create the world. The very illustrations the prophets use are very physical illustrations. And when Jesus came, he took on human flesh. I think the church needs to take on flesh and dwell among our people. That's what I think. Going into, entering into their lives. Loving people enough to have a voice that can say, this is going to be hard what Jesus calls you to. But I have to call you to follow Jesus as Lord, to deny yourself, take up the cross and follow, and that's hard. Many people don't even want to come to church in the first place because they first ask, will he let me keep living the way I'm living now or else I'm not going to come to your church? And I don't sometimes quite know how to deal with that. But I'll tell you, your church is there for a reason. A part of that reason Dr. Sims has really driven this home again to me. Part of this reason is for us, that in that community of faith, we will be fully made right with God, that the discipleship will happen. But even as we grow, we must also at the same time be going as his agents and ambassadors of reconciliation. 
because God loves the world. And I want to tell you, there is no God-forsaken place in this world that our Father loves. There, there is no sin or hostility greater than the grace of God. There is no brokenness you will ever encounter that is beyond God's power to heal it. God loves this world that he made. He sent his one and only son not to condemn the world, but to rescue the world through him. And he has planted us in communities as his ambassadors to enter in, call to, and walk with. I'll leave you again my favorite passage, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 20 and 21. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Anybody else like that phrase? Anybody else? <laughs> not counting people's sins against them. How much I need to every day see that. And God has then entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, this is who we are. Ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. So enter in. Call to. Walk with. And it will be to his glory. Amen.